When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, all of you beautiful people, and all of you depressed, sad, frustrated, angry, as that uh, drinks of whiskey Hawkeye fans? There, it's been an interesting. Um, well, and that we're recording this on Tuesday, so we got you know the entirety of Saturday um, past three o'clock. There's Sunday, Monday, and now today of just what the hell was, what is going on? I mean, South Coast State. 7-3. And for a while there, it looked like Iowa State was about to be 7-3 to um, until it wasn't. And, of course, you know, Iowa didn't come out on the winning end of that one. Um, <laughs> needless to say, when you put up 14 points and uh, only one touchdown um, in a span of two weeks, you are not going to draw a lot of happy people, even if you do end up winning both of those games. Um, which Iowa almost did. Um, it's definitely been interesting on social media. Um, it's leaked over to player interviews. Um, what to do with Spencer Petrus, what to do with the offense. Obviously, nobody's going to be talking about the defense because they are just out there constantly, and they constantly perform. They're constantly forcing turnovers, making big plays, doing what they need to do to, and, and then some to win games. Thad and I, I didn't even introduce you. I, I I'm just I went off on an immediate tangent. My buddy Thad is obviously on the podcast as usual. Thad Nelson. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at tnels20 and also follow his work on BlackheartGoldPants.com. Thad, um, what the hell, man? <laughs> well, man, last time we talked, there was you know it was preseason. There's some optimism. Maybe things go okay. And then we all watched that first game and realized, look, this isn't okay. Um, nowhere in this is anything okay with what Iowa had. And I mentioned uh, with Harrison on our Twitter space before the Iowa State game, I said, this is just going to be a painful game for everybody involved. You know, it's just death by a million cuts for both fan bases. Um, if you're Iowa, it's, you know, blocking another punt, uh, getting the ball scoring in two plays and thinking, all right, like, here we go. And then not scoring again the entire game. Um, Iowa State fans, it was turnovers, special teams, miscues, uh, same recipe. Uh, and the only reason this time the recipe for them didn't end in another loss was because of Iowa's complete ineptitude on offense. Yeah. I, it's there's a clear um you know guilty party when it comes to what's been transpiring the first two games and that's the offense whether you're pointing at Spencer Petrus like so many are or whether you're pointing at Brian Ferentz or the offensive line or all three combined you're probably right about all three combined um in some form or fashion now the bulk of it has kind of been levied at um you know Spencer and Brian for the most part Mostly Spencer because, you know, it's it's an easy fix, right? We talked about this before the, the South Dakota State game. A quarterback is one position. You know, you switch that guy out, everybody knows it. Um, it's just different. There's a different personality there. There's different plays to be made that the other player potentially can't make. There were throws in the Iowa State game and in the South Dakota State game where Petrus has regressed. I mean, he's missing balls over the middle. He's, he's, um, you know, there's, there's still throws that he's not been able to replicate, um, from past seasons. Um, and he's never been able to make throughout his career, but there are throws now he's missing that he's never missed be in the past, or at least not the frequency that he's missing in the currently. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of people on Twitter when you have those two performances and your QBR through two games is not only the worst in power five, it is significantly the worst in power five you have a 3.4 qbr after two games against south dakota state 
and Iowa State. Man, it's it's one of those things you just can't overlook. And yeah, you watch the offensive line perform in this past game. It was awful. I mean, there are so many individuals you can point out, and you're just like, this is this is what everything is accumulated to. All these great recruiting classes coming in, and and these are the guys that are getting the shot now. There has to be something better. And you're saying the same thing about Spencer. You know, this all these great recruiting classes. You know, all these great weapons that we've added over the years, and this is the best quarterback that can fit on an underneath center. And then you look at the offensive coordinator after year, two years or, or um, two regimes at quarterback. He's had Nate Stanley. He had, he's had Spencer Petrus. Um, and, and what, and what has been, what has become of that? It's gotten worse. It's regressed. It's just so unacceptable to a point where you have, you can't just not acknowledge it and gloss over and say, you know, the big topic today was body of work. That was the big quote, um, just cause it came from Kirk's mouth. And, um, he's saying, you know, we're trusting the body of work that we see in practice. And we've heard a lot about, you know, practice with Spencer and, and the offense. Well, clearly, you know, something's going wrong where, um, you know, the practice is not translating to the field. Yeah. There's, as you said, just a multitude of issues and you could point fingers at all of them. Um, and as you said, you'd be a little bit right in all of them. And the biggest thing you mentioned that I agree completely is the regression. Uh, I went back to watch those first, I watched uh, clips of those, his first couple games in 2020. And I even went back to read uh, what I wrote in my rewatch to see, you know, what were my initial thoughts? And what did he do the first game? He started off really slow, looked really nervous against Purdue. But then he found a rhythm. He'd hit his back foot. He'd release. He hit some corner routes, um, some out routes with a lot of zip. You know, he struggled with some screen passes. And I'm looking at and all of it. I'm thinking it's the same issues he had before, but worse. He's missing by miles. And I love to use golf analogies. And to me, it's it reminds me a little bit of like, for a while, how Charles Barkley's swing was so famous for being such like he had this mental block. And what people don't know is Charles Barkley was a really good golfer and then just got this mental block. Um, and actually now he's his swing looks great again, but he couldn't get over that. And right now with Spencer, that's what it looks like. It is a block. Uh, you see him pat the ball an extra time. You see him hitch. You see on play action rollouts. He's holding it longer than he should. Even even if he has a top-down um, a top down read, meaning he's looking deep first and then he's underneath, you know, he's just holding the ball too long. He's waiting. He's patting the ball. He's unsure. And I don't know if this is something that the coaches have drilled into him or I know he's working with a quarterback coach and he's just, you know, like he's trying to put it all together. And the thing I'll say, like, Seems like a great teammate. He's trying. He's doing everything that he thinks he's supposed to, everything he's been told to do, he's trying to work on. But it's like he's got this block that he's trying to be so successful and he just can't let it happen. And not that he's a super athletic player, but I said in our Slack, he's not letting his natural quarterback athleticism take over. He's got raw talent with his arm. Um, and even the, the motion's good. He's got the ability there but it's a complete block and I'm sure in practice it looks better and I'm sure a lot of times in game situations it looks better but right now the problem they have <clears throat> the offense is having so many difficulties that like nobody's ever open he's not getting time so when he does those misfires stand out like a sore thumb watch 12 hours of college football on Saturday at least and you see quarterbacks miss throws all the time. But the thing with him and the thing with Iowa is those chances to have an open guy and make something positive happen in the pass game are so few and far between that it's just this giant like release of, you know, you just get done. You're like, oh, another like we finally had a chance. And then nope, incomplete again or batted pass. And I think. That's the frustrating part is the offense has so many issues. And when you compound it with the fact that on the slim chance something does work, that the pass is sailing out of bounds um, or he's holding on to it too long and getting stuck in the pocket, 
it it's just really really frustrating to watch yeah and you know it's one of those things too when you see the ball fly out of spencer peters hands and it it crosses the line of scrimmage it's not going horizontal or maybe like um, a sort of the side kind of throw or maybe even just a quick um in route um, two yards past like the line of scrimmage you almost always think it's going to be an incompletion like he might make it a diving a catchable attempt but you almost always are just coming away from that like oh this is going to be incomplete yep a third down nate oh now fourth down and eight it's it's almost always that where if, if you see the ball flying for at least one second in the air you have zero faith you watch any college football game turn on college football this friday when there's a college football games on or this saturday watch any team in power five that is not an issue literally not an issue um especially not for a team that you know finished it as a big 10 champion um a big 10 west champion last year and went to the big 10 championship game and what has was has been ranked for the past six years you shouldn't have that at quarterback or you shouldn't have that your pass game look like that and what i will say you know everybody's like shitting on the um oh he, he looks really good in practice he's a hard worker all these sorts of things and saying well he doesn't translate the field but here's why we'll, de- we'll defend you know part of that clearly he's won the confidence of a lot of his teammates you know you saw riley moss speaking out um, you saw multiple players on twitter uh, whether that's past or present speaking out you even saw kirk you know unwaveringly defending him saying you know it's business as usual this is what's best for our team I don't think necessarily that's a knock on Padilla. I just think that they know what they see in practice and he has to have some talent, right? This is definitely a talented guy. They've seen him for now for five years. Um, There's clearly some talent there and we've talked about it in the past. He has had some really good games. Just go back to Nebraska. Watch the first half. All right, close out everything that you know about Spencer. Just watch the first half of that Kentucky game and tell me that that's the same quarterback that was playing against South Dakota State or Iowa State. It is mind-numbingly different. It's just like, how is that fall-off like that? Like, you removed what? A Tyrone Tracy wasn't even playing at the time. And you removed, you know, um, obviously not a great offensive line um, with Tyler Linderbaum in the mix there. Um, but what else did you really remix? I, I guess, you know, um, <laughs> you're missing uh, Purdue boy. Oh, why am I blanking on I'm right. Yeah, Char- Charlie Jones. <laughs> and this is, this is the one part I will... Uh, defend a little bit in terms of like I was just going through it so you heard if you listen to Kirk at all today he just in the past couple days he mentioned you know we haven't had the chance to evaluate him to which is kind of bogus in the sense of like look it's his third year starting you've had plenty of chances but where I will flip that a little is they obviously uh, Ken O'Keefe is gone and Brian Ferentz steps into quarterback coach along with still maintaining to be offensive coordinator. They brought in an analyst who was a former OC, uh, former Wisconsin quarterback. It sounds like they did make quite a few changes over the summer and in the fall about kind of how they were going to operate the offense and some things. So, okay, why does it not look any different? What are some of the issues? Well, right now they have essentially one scholarship receiver that's healthy. So let's say you go to Pick any team in the Big Ten West. Say, all right, I would like you to remove six of your top seven wide receivers from your roster right now. Oh, and by the way, your uh, planned starting running back, he's out too. And you totally get why the coaches can feel this and say, look, we tried to change things, planning on having Keegan Johnson, Nico Regani, Arlen Bruce as our three receivers, having two tight ends, in Sam Laporte and Luke Lachey, having this kind of two-headed uh, power running back game with Gavin Williams and LaShawn Williams, supplemented by one of the freshmen. Like, we had this plan. This is how we're going to implement. And slowly, like, Keegan Johnson can't come back. Nico Regani, you know, breaks his foot. Uh, Brody Brecht has still had lingering hamstring issues. Deontay Vines breaks his wrist as he's coming on, Jacob Bostic, a freshman that comes in, he has an undisclosed injury and he hasn't been able to practice. Jackson Ritter, who spent some time, he tears his ACL in the summer. All of a sudden, now you've got Sam Laporta lined up out wide. Well, that totally changes what you were going to do to isolate him as a tight end. So you're probably one of your best weapons is now playing out wide. Well, you can't really isolate and do all the things you wanted to do with him. 
Kirk mentioned that they'd even toyed with the idea, it sounded like, of Gavin Williams doing some receiver stuff. He mentioned, he goes, well, you know, there's a break in case of emergency. He had to play some third downs on Saturday. He said they kind of played with, you know, playing him out wide. Well, then, you know, he has this ankle injury and then, you know, something lingering um, as well that happened in camp. So all these things that, like, you're trying to put these new pieces together, this is what we're planning for, and then literally it implodes. And while Iowa's receiving core is, like, the last area that they can afford those issues, and it's completely decimated. Now, it does sound like Nico's getting closer, um, possibly this week. Keegan getting closer, maybe this week. Doubtful, though. Um so maybe there's a ch- like you can lean to that, and I will defend him a little bit on that. But it it is kind of bogus to him, for him to say we haven't been able to evaluate when so many of the issues we see with Spencer are the same issues we saw in Game One of 2020, and they have not improved, and many of them have regressed in some form. Yeah, the the idea that you you haven't been able to evaluate him yet is is absolutely a trash narrative. I, I it's it's such a dumb thing to say. You can watch three games of any quarterback who's ever played in college football and know exactly who they are. Three games. That's all it takes. Seriously. You, you know how they drop back. You know how they move. You know how they react to pressure. You know when they can make throws and when they can't make throws or when they look comfortable making throws or don't com- look comfortable making throws. You can determine that off of three games, let alone three seasons and, and two seasons where he was you know at least practicing to some degree and running with the offense. So yeah, that 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 whole point drives me insane. And at that point, it's just a question of, well, if you're Kirk and or you're Brian or you're whoever sort of um, has an informed decision and, and sort of adds to discussion in Iowa's coaching staff, what are you valuing? Are you valuing, you know, well, this guy does what we want him to do, um, you know, regardless of whether the results are there, he does what we want him to do. Um, he has the abilities that we're looking for at quarterback. Or do you acknowledge that the offense as a whole is just trash, just awful, and just say, well, listen, you know, clearly Alex Padilla is not what we typically look for in a guy, but sometimes a team just needs a spark. Sometimes you need an added running dynamic at quarterback. Sometimes you just need a guy who can get outside the pocket when the offensive line's being playing poorly and then make a throw on the run or make some improvisation happen and live with the mistakes that might occur because of that. Um, you know, we all know that uh, Jake Rudock beat out C.J. Beathard back in the day, um, and, and Kirk was very stubborn about, you know, going to C.J. Beathard despite the flashes that he showed because Jake Rudock was more reliable and did exactly what they were hoping for as far as the scheme goes. But again, you know, once his hand was forced and C.J. Beathard came into the game, we all know what sort of happened. It was, it was, you know, ancient history at that point. He just took it and ran with it. I, I think there's a certain point where you just need to let go of what you think you know and just let it happen and see what the results are. And it could also be an issue where Spencer Petras, let's say, you know, it could be an issue too of he is the better quarterback, but maybe for the way the team is right now, he's not the better quarterback for the team in this moment. You know, you mentioned the ability um, for Padilla, not that he's a runner, but he is more comfortable moving around in the pocket, scrambling. He is far more comfortable on bootlegs. He has a quicker release. Um, The ball doesn't travel as quick, but he has a quicker release if you want to try to get some of those uh, quick passes to the outside and do some things like that. So maybe he isn't the better quarterback. Maybe he is. Like, I don't know. But maybe he's the better quarterback for this team right now. And the only thing I'll kind of push back even on my own statement there is, you know, we don't get to see, they don't have open practices except for they have kids day and the media got in there for a tiny bit this fall. But what I will say is there was nobody coming out of either of those times that said, you know, I think it should be Padilla. He looks better. Uh, It was all, you know, Petrus clear number one. Padilla, clear number two, and uh, freshman uh, Joey Labus, clear number three. Like, it was pretty clear. So it could be the coaches are just saying, look, it's clear, and I know it's not what people want to hear or see, um, but it is very clear to us. Now, 
as so many have said, um, it's not like it can be worse. You know, there's you said his combined, you know, quarterback rating, uh, QBR is three point four. So what Padilla is at two point seven, um, and and the turnovers have gotten outrageous. It'd be one thing if he were like early in his career where, you know, he wasn't throwing a lot of interceptions. I you know I think he only threw interceptions in like half of his games, but it's fumbles, it's interceptions now. Like he's just turning the ball over and Iowa can't have that. And that was maybe their issue with Padilla last year is he threw a lot of balls uh, that should have been intercepted or just really ill-advised throws. But I think I think you have to try something um, because it, what's working now, and look, if it doesn't work, uh, Spencer's shown he's a tough mentally guy in terms of being able to handle outside noise. Uh, go back to it or, you know, do something else. But it is pretty clear that, um, you know, things just aren't, the the puzzle pieces are not fitting together at all right now on offense. Yeah, and and truly, even if, you know, it's just crazy looking at these numbers and just not doing anything about it, given that this is year three now. And, I mean, he has 202 passing yards in two games with zero touchdowns and two interceptions. I mean, and... And um, there was also, I believe, a strip sack fumble um, in there as well. Um, and he's been sacked a, a number of times, not always his fault, but sometimes it is his fault. And also, look at the play calling that's been Brian's been doing to kind of alleviate the offensive line from looking terrible. A lot of bootlegs, a lot of sprint boots. I mean, what have we talked about in our preseason pod and, and past two years with Spencer Petras is that he sucks throwing on the run. That's not a strength, not even close. So you're just going to force your quarterback to do the thing that he is worst at on six passing attempts when you're only giving him, say, like 15 or so in a game? I, it, make it make sense. I mean, Brian, we talk about Spencer's regression. We talk about the offensive line's regression over the past four years or so. Look at Brian Ferentz's regression and just marvel at this guy having this many chances to be absolutely inept. I mean, listen, I, I'm going to bring up a tweet because I think it speaks to a broader point of sort of the divide between um, players, the former players, and, and a lot of the fan base right now. Um, it's from Brady Ross. <laughs> it's definitely more of an aggressive style tweet. Uh, he didn't mince words, that's for sure. Uh, he says, it's going to sound crazy, but hear me out. Kirk Ferentz, 190 career wins, knows how to position his team to win football games better than a horde of clueless nerds on Twitter slash podcasts. Listen, I don't think anybody would ever argue that, except for, you know, the the hordes of (laughs) clueless nerds who are kind of going for Kirk's job right now and saying he just needs to go, which we hear this every single time I, you know, experiences some adversity. I think those people are, are grasping at straws at who knows? I think if you're arguing that Kirk Ferentz should be fired, I think you're on the off. You're so off the reservation. What you should be looking at is why has Kirk allowed Brian to be this inept for so long under him and just not done anything and not really pushed his buttons and not really maybe taken away some responsibilities from him um, as far as just lessening his workload or doing something to help this offense in, in a more hands-on way. Uh this offense has looked awful and, and this is definitely nepotism. I don't think there's no other coordinator in the country would be allowed to do this anywhere, anywhere, let alone for how long Brian's been doing it. Here's my, my question that, that I want to um, kind of point out. And, and maybe this is, could Kirk be thinking, so they, they moved on obviously from Ken O'Keefe, who was when he came back solely quarterback coach. And we didn't hear much about it, just time to, to retire. Do you think there's a there's part of Kirk's thinking that they decided to move on last year seeing this regression, that here's a guy who's only coaching quarterbacks. Um, we have not seen any progress from Petrus, who is starting, from Padilla, who was his backup, from Deuce Hogan, that was third, and that now is at Kentucky. Um, as a second string, you know, maybe they weren't happy with anything else and or possibly his evaluation on bringing these guys in. That That's kind of my 
my wonder is, are they saying, look, we just need some time because that was not working. The way he was coaching quarterbacks was just not advantageous to the way that quarterbacks need to process and play right now. And we see that, you know, they just got a commitment from a junior quarterback in Florida who is much more of a runner than anybody they've had in a long, long time. Now, whether that holds, whether that's a whole separate story, um, but they did go after him. And the guy they've got coming in for next year, um, Lennis moves around pretty well. So I'm wondering, you know, if part of it is saying, look, we're going to let this play out with kind of Brian and Bud Meyer kind of molding our quarterbacks into what we want them because we were just getting nothing out of what no progression out of the last several quarterbacks. I should say none, but not enough for sure. Yeah. And you know, that that's a great point. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, when you do have a coaching change, like the quarterbacks change, especially when it's a quarterback coach that, you know, is solidified and has been around the, the program for a long time. Um, whether it was, you know, his initial time um, before he left for the NFL or when he came back, I, I do think that there's, something in the head coach's mind where they say, well, you know, he was a product of the other system or the other guy. Let's, you know, just kind of let it play out and see what happens. But, and that maybe that's where Kirk's coming from, where he says, you know, we haven't been able to, a chance to evaluate him because the first two games, you know, the way you brought it up, there's been so many injuries um, and there's a new offensive line getting broken in a new running back core getting broken in. That said, you know, it, there are crappy quarterbacks throughout college football who can luck into throwing more than 200 yards in a single game. You know, they can just luck into it, whether or not that's, you know, a tip drill pass that should have been picked off. And all of a sudden it ends ending up in the end zone for 75 yards. Um, or just a bomb down the sideline where you catch a PI call or you, you get a lucky, you know, break with just the receiver coming back to it and making a play on it. You don't get those with Spencer ever right? It's just one of those weird things where it's either a precision throw and, and you're marveling at his arm strength, his placement, and, and just ability to kind of put it in a place downfield in a blink, or it, it, you have no hope and it's, it's fallen incomplete to the turf um, because he gunned it in there and it, it just had no shot. Um, it just feels like there's too many passes like that. And ultimately, I think, you know, we, we talked about it initially here in the preseason, you have to manufacture space for your receivers to get open, no matter who it is. It doesn't need to be a Charlie Jones out there. It doesn't need to be an Arlen Bruce to manufacture space. You should be manufacturing space for Jackson Ritters and, and you know, your walk-on receivers that are stepping in the fold and, and whoever else steps out there. You should find a way to man- take what the defense has given you as far as coverage goes, whether they're playing you off, whether they're playing you pressing to the line, and say we have a play to make sure that they, you know, they start, you know, questioning whether or not they're doing the right thing, because we can kind of maneuver around it. There's no chess match with Brian. It's just straight up, we're gonna run in a corner. You know, hopefully Spencer puts it on the money, or we're gonna run a sprint out and we're gonna run a speed out to the sideline, and hopefully our receiver just, you know, gets enough separation and Spencer puts it on the money which he never does. I, again, I don't know why we're running these speeds out, speed outs with Spencer Petras unless you're setting him up for failure. Um, it's one of those things that just drives you crazy, and yeah, I, I just can't get it out of my mind. Seen it so many times. And, and how, how can you truly be a football mind watching a guy like Spencer throw it on the run for three years now in game settings? I don't care about practice at that point. Just look at what's, what he's shown you rep-wise in games. There's no way he's going back in, um, you know, in, in the week leading up to a game and saying to the coaches, I feel comfortable throwing on the run. You know, this is a throw that I feel comfortable. Oh, yeah, I can make that throw. If he is, he's not holding up his end of the bargain, but I don't think that's what it is. I just think Brian comes in the, the game or the game plan as far as the setup goes and what they run in practice and says, all right, here's how we're going to attack him this week. He doesn't care about catering towards quarterback. I, it has to be that. I mean, there's no other way that you end up running five speed outs or, uh, or speed rollouts for Spencer Petras against Iowa State. There's just no other way. He's not telling you that that's a comfortable throw for him. I mean, what are your thoughts on just sort of 
almost a sabotage setup that we've seen with Spencer Peters the first two weeks because that's what it feels like. That's a great point. It almost feels like he's out there saying, look, this isn't the right, this is what we need to do to mitigate some of our um, issues at the, at the offensive line, breaking in a bunch of young players. Um, we need to kind of roll the pocket. We need to get him moving away from certain things. But it but it doesn't fit what he does at, at all. And as you as you know, we've kind of alluded to several times, it's more about okay, maybe you have a, a better total package, but what this team needs you to do, it doesn't work. What else can you do against a heavy pass rush? You can a great screen game, but that's a pass he really struggles with. Struggled with it in his first game of his career, and it's still a struggle. Um, you know, some of those quick throws to the sideline. Again, not anything that looks comfortable for him. It, it always looks like he's aiming it. And Arlen Bruce did have uh, the one catch where he had a, a dig route. And that was like the first time I feel like in so many games where we saw an Iowa receiver catch it with in stride with room to run and make a play upfield. But we never see that. You know, we saw him uh, in in the rain um, throw one low to Wick, who caught it. We saw a decent pass to Bruce that he missed in the rain. The week before, uh, a dig route by Wick that he threw off the turf two feet in front of him. You know, so he's one for, yeah, two for four on those, but only one time really putting it where the guy could make a play. And that just never happens for Iowa. The receiver catches it. And he's either going out of bounds because there's so many just out routes or he's catching it and going down, whether he's diving uh, to the turf to get the ball or whether it's double coverage and he was forced to throw to that spot. And just nothing he's doing besides those occasional throws where he's fitting into a tiny window because nobody's open and he's forcing one to usually Laporta. None of it works with what. Iowa wants to do not just what they can do but what they want to do and if Iowa wants to get to running an effective offense they have to be able to do something with the pass game and I know Harrison's brought it up a couple times Uh, his first game of his career was his career high passing 265 yards and like four of his five lowest are in the last like six games Four of his five lowest passing totals are in the last six games. And his career high was game one. Like, this isn't just like a slow regression. This has just been the offense in Iowa's passing game falling off the cliff, crashing with a tank full of gasoline, and just poof, fire plume, 35 feet in the air. And that's right now what it is. And... I don't see it getting better. It's it's going to help to get some of the offensive weapons back. Yes, it's going to help to get that young offensive line a little more experience, get them a little more cohesion. That's going to help. But what does that put it to? 175 yards a game passing? You know, that it, there's nothing in there that says we're going to get to, you know, 220. And I think if this offense could have 220 which is a pretty measly number in college football today, if they could get to 220 a game, um, all of a sudden now this team, combined with the defense and special teams, says, okay, we've got a shot now. But even with adding all those pieces back, do you see it improving outside of marginal improvement? uncatchable passes are uncatchable passes no matter if you have calvin johnson out there or you have jackson ritter or you have arlen bruce it doesn't matter you know if you continue to make your quarterback throw passes that he's uncomfortable with and they're sailing 10 yards outside of the receiver's frame or nose diving into the turf you don't have a single receiver in in the world or in college football period uh, or even in the pro game who can make those plays just this flat out you just don't have it um and that's what these passes have been. It, the equivalent, and I, I kind of want to go back to this, the equivalent of what Spencer's been asked to do so far 
in the, in the first two games with these these touch passes out of the backfield, you know, falling off platform or, or just sprint rollouts um, where he's eliminating half the field with his reading ability. I mean, that's what Spencer does well, right? Goes through his progressions, has good footwork, knows how to maneuver through them and makes the right decision is what we've always said about Spencer the past two years. You're eliminating half of the field and limiting him to maybe two, maybe three routes in the progression. And it's just a levels read, high, low, check down. Um, as far as, you know, what you're asking him to do when he's rolling out to the sideline. And you're also putting him in a box as far as, you know, the time to make a play. Because as he's rolling to the sideline, the field's collapsing and shrinking in front of him. We know how well he does with pressure, right? <laughs> Another point of just, it feels like sabotage. It'd be like putting Alex Padilla out there and asking him to throw it 30 yards down the field. It's just like... We know that half of those are going to end up in picks because that's not who Alex Padilla is. He's a guy who loves the rhythm pass, who actually excels with touch because he doesn't have the elite arm or the strong velocity kind of arm, and he likes to roll out of the pocket and, and do the things that Spencer's being asked to do right now. It's it's just it's, it's such a coaching malpractice to put your quarterback in that position of just being set up to fail because you've had, we like like going back to a point I brought up earlier today, you can watch a quarterback in three games and know exactly what he's comfortable with, know exactly how he moves, know exactly what he does well. They've had three years, and they still don't know how to cater to Spencer Petrus. So it's one or two things. Either Spencer Petrus is a bad quarterback with very little redeemable qualities other than maybe leadership and a guy who can come off the bench and just not screw up, or your coaching staff has absolutely failed. There's no in-between. The results speak for themselves with this offense. Well, in the offense, the results, I mean, it's just bad all around. I mean, we're we're sticking to the pass game, which is obviously a big reason it's been horrible. Um, but there's not been really anything that says has really stood out. I mean, we have one touchdown despite all the opportunities with wonderful field position, and that was a two-play drive to start the game. And the really they got close to the end zone one other time and thanks to a wild set of events with penalties they got into a long field goal situation one other time that was it the entire game that was the only chances they were even close to having an opportunity to put points on the board and there there's no effort to throw down field and we've harped on that a bunch in the past no double moves but at the same time, okay, well, who are you going to really throw it downfield to? Right now, you've got small receivers in there because of injuries. You probably don't have a lot of time for double moves. So, okay, you can say, well, we'll, we'll equalize those out. But they've done nothing. They did try a, a kind of a trick play throwback to Laporta early in the second half. But there's just been nothing, as you've talked about, to alleviate some of those issues. And they can't even run a rub play without getting called for offensive PI. And and there, you should be running 10 to 12 of those a game. Easily. Mesh routes, rub routes. like That should be the key staple to any modern passing game. And they maybe do one to two a game. And they've twice it's stuck out in my brain they've done it. And once he missed Laporta, threw it way over his head. Um, that Again, it would have been actually called back because... Uh, of illegal formation with guys not being set. And the other one, uh, again, it's a bad throw, but there was offensive pass interference because uh, the receiver made no real effort to do anything other than run over his guy and then fall down and put his hands up. So like the basics of that that you should be able to do and run effectively and cleanly, they're, they're screwing it up twofold. They're getting offensive penalties and they're not executing the pass. And that's the part which is like, you're rarely trying the things you should be doing. And when you're doing them, you're screwing them up so much. Like, that's a sign of a poorly prepped team. You know, we hammer teams like that. We hammer Nebraska all the time for stuff like that. Oh, it's the same mistake over and over and over again. That speaks to the coaching if you're not getting through. And, you know, it's... The issue of not having, you know, any way to mitigate this. Like, even 
get set like 17 points or at least threaten and say, well, we're turning the ball over, we're screwing up, but we're doing some good things. Like there's not even a lot to build on. And I know Kirk said he thinks they're they're closer and maybe they are, but man, they're closer to to trash. I mean, because right now that's all all that's happening is just it's been so bad in every aspect of it. And it's painful because all these fans see this all world defense. They see special teams playing amazing. And once the offense gets it, it's just like, well, how are we going to shoot ourselves in the foot here? What block are we going to miss? What pass are we going to miss? Is the snap going to be good? Uh, are we going to fumble the ball? Like, it's just a pile and pile of airs, physical, mental, that is infuriating to watch, thinking this team, despite even a bad offense, could win quite a few games because of this defense and special teams. But right now it's a miserable offense. Yeah, what are, what are we closer to? Last year's offense, which was also terrible? Or maybe three years' offense, uh, three year offenses ago where it was also terrible. I mean, it's unbelievable. What are we closer to? I mean, maybe scoring a touchdown is what he's talking about, That where we actually have to make a, a successful drive last more than five plays. No clue. Because there's no signs that we're closer to anything, especially with that the the performance by the offensive line against Iowa State suggested that we're further away than we've ever been um, in the past five years um, on, on the, any kind of offensive line. I mean that was awful. There was lack of effort. There was missed blocks. There was missed assignments. It was just, oh, it, it watching that offense made me just want to turn off the TV because I knew there wasn't going to be anything happening there. I mean the way the Iowa's offense has performed for the first two games is how teams, when they're playing Iowa's defense, you know, they're like a lesser opponent, like Nevada this upcoming weekend, or maybe, you know, like a, a random FCS school, like Western Illinois, maybe steps up against Iowa and plays them and they can't move the ball at all until the scrubs come in until I shouldn't say the scrubs until the second, um, like depth chart players come in and the true freshmen come in, they're getting their first starts of the season. That's how Iowa's offense has felt the first two weeks. You know, they should be able to put up points even if the offense is, is dreadful. And right now, it's it's worse than anybody could have ever imagined, truly. Um, there's not a lot of optimism. I don't think there's a lot of optimism with this season, period. Personally, I there's so many injuries. It feels like the world's falling. When, until there's legitimate change somewhere, you know, and not just adding players back to an offense last year that was underwhelming uh, it's hard to get excited about the season even with an elite defense so is there anything that you could see this week against Nevada and the following week with Rutgers that besides just saying points uh, because that's obvious but like if you see something from the offense besides like okay they made a change at quarterback um the one that everybody keeps pointing to, the one that we've talked about. What what from this offense would say, oh, that is a step forward? Step forward? It's easy. Just build up Spencer's confidence by making him throw verticality, vertica, you know, vertical routes that aren't just running towards the sideline or rearing back or stop routes that are coming back to the quarterback. Get him some verticality. Try to get some big plays in the passing game. You know, he, he knows his, his fucking numbers. You don't think that he's seeing all this shit on social media about him having 3.4 QBR and against South Coast State where he had a 1.1 QBR? I mean, he knows it. He knows he hasn't thrown a passing touchdown this season. That's just not something they're like, oh, how many touchdowns have it thrown? Oh, yeah, zero. No, he knows it in his head. Just, I need to see some precision passing out of him. I need to see some throws where he's making them. He's hitting receivers in stride. He's getting people involved. He's not crowding and, and terrified of the sound of a sight of a pass rush and, and quivering for his life and getting sacked 10 yards in the backfield. You know, I wanted to see him step up. I wanted to deliver, see him deliver a strike and hit a receiver right in the numbers. You know, there are so many throws this past weekend where a receiver was open and he just whiffed so bad. And just seeing that step, I wouldn't say that's the step in the right direction. This, this passing game has never carried Iowa. 
It's it's never carried Iowa. That's never been who um who they are, and that's never been how they win games. It just needs to be competent somewhat. And right now, it is the worst passing offense in Power Five, easily by far. And I've seen Colorado play twice now, and they are awful. Um, <laughs> it's like one of those things, man. You know, we we're talking about Nevada, and we're talking about points. The spread right now opened up at twenty two and a half. <laughs> I saw 23 today when I was looking to. You too. probably like, did. <laughs> 20, 23. Iowa has, what, a 10 offensive points through two games? And you want them to win by 23? So, right. So, six safeties, two pick sixes, a punt return. Uh, I mean, that's... The way it feels, everybody had the same feeling when Terry Roberts had that interception and he couldn't keep his feet. He had to kind of turn backwards it's to like, get We're the ball. not getting points here. We're not, <laughs> not going to score. You know, and you could see it from him. He was furious that he wanted it. Um, and part of that, he wants it because he's a super competitive dude um, and he wants to to help his team. But they have to know that if we don't do it, who will and right now that's the part that for the offense uh i want to see a sustained drive they've had two real drives that i would call and both ended in fumbles um you have five turnovers through two games you know progress to me would be zero even just one turnover um but to not turn the ball over that would be progress to have some semblance of a pass game where where guys are able to make a play where Iowa can, as you said, get vertical, stretch the field in some form. Um, whether it's getting getting four verts and trying to hit Laporta or Lachey on a linebacker safety down the seam at 25 yards and and throwing a back shoulder, you know, to me that's that's a pass that that Spencer can make. And I'd be trying to do, like, get those tight ends down the seam, um, send both of them, see which side the safety goes through, and then hit the back shoulder of the other one. Because those safeties are playing it seven yards off the line of scrimmage most of the time and getting ready to get downhill. So make something like that where you're throwing it off of a shoulder and let one of your targets go get it. Or where you're hitting Arlen Bruce on a dig route where he can have some open field in front of him and, and hit him on the numbers. And s- just something where they can sustain a drive, have consecutive quality plays. Because, you know, that's the other thing. We're not almost ever seeing consecutive plus plays. If you look at expected points per play, um, it's almost never two positive plays in a row. Um and it doesn't take much to be a positive expected point play. Uh, you just have to get a few yards, basically, especially considering down. And, and there's almost no, if you look at the play-by-play or data, there's, a, there's so rarely consecutive positive expected point plays. Um, so being able to string something together would be a sign of hope. But is it against a team that just lost to Incarnate Word? I don't know. It's one of those things, and you just brought it up where, um, you know, throw it up and let somebody make a play on it. When was the last time you saw, whether that was Nate Stanley or Spencer Petras, throw it up and just let somebody make a play? It has to be a while as far as just like a go route or something down the sideline or verticality is concerned. You know, you watch college football all across the board, and you'll see quarterbacks and the high-octane great passing offenses that rack up all those yards. They just say put it on them you know and and the way I think Iowa coaches have drilled it into their quarterbacks over the years and I don't think I don't think this is just Ken O'Keefe I think this predates him is we can live with an overthrow you know that's an incompletion and if our receiver stacks the corner like we think he might be able to you know he might be able to make a play on it might coaches you know across college football look at those types of plays where it's a go route just one-on-one deep down the field and they just know. The receiver knows the play. Usually cornerbacks in, in college are face guarding. They have no idea where the ball is. The receiver are, are dictating the route. They're dictating the play against that that corner and therefore have an immediate advantage no matter what. 
you know, you'll run into those elite corner cover corners every once in a while. Well, don't try those dudes. But guess what? Nevada doesn't have that. Iowa State doesn't even have that. South Coast State didn't have that. How many times were you trying their corners to say, hey, I bet their corner can't make this play, but our guy can? Never. Not one damn time. And when it did, it was an overthrow because I think, and I and I truly believe this is based on watching how they throw go routes, these quarterbacks come through Iowa. They are taught to overthrow. And when they, they when the underthrow, that's looked at as a turnover um, worthy play. And that's just something that as a, a defensive oriented team that also prides itself in special teams just dreads because you're giving the other team short field um, each time you throw an interception or turn the ball over. But I think you just have to live with that in order to make important splash plays that move an offense. Well, and, and even to do that, I was in a hard spot because Kirk mentioned today they're really monitoring um, Bruce because of essentially double duty. You know, he's playing 80, 85% of the snaps at receiver. He's on, he's a punt returner. You know, he's the only scholarship receiver right now that can play. Um, I, Brody Breck did get in, I think, for three plays. Um, I don't know if I'd have to go back. I don't know if he maybe ran one route. Um, and, and not a fault, like for him, I mean, he's been splitting two sports. He hurt his hamstring. Uh, this summer playing baseball, like he just hasn't been able to practice. And I don't mean that in like, well, if you can't do it in practice, you can't do it. But like, he just, he hasn't been able to, to get any reps to do anything. And that is an important thing. And he's probably not in great shape when anytime you have a soft tissue injury like that, um, you know, you, your cardio, which as a receiver is so important, it's gone because you can't do anything. So that's the other problem they have too. It's like, I, I'm with you. Like, I do think you have to try it. But I do think the coaches are thinking, okay, who am I going to throw it to? And let's say our, our best receiver right now, Arlen Bruce. He's a one scholarship guy. He's He can make some plays. But that's not, I mean, he's like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, um, he's not a guy that's going to go up and make probably a super contested play. But maybe he can run by a guy. And you got. I think you have to give him the chance. But they're also worried about, you know, if we send him on two or three go routes, like he's got to come out for a few plays. So now what are we? Now we have to go 22 personnel um, with a walk-on receiver in. And and now everybody knows what's going to happen. So so they're just, they're in a bad spot. But, but with that, you can't let the fear of, well, we can't try this because it might be a turnover or we're going to make a guy tired and we don't have very many reserves. Like, then call a timeout. Then, like, you know, do something to find a way to get them involved in a play that doesn't let the defense dictate what you're doing and doesn't let your current roster construction totally dictate everything that you're doing. And I will say this. If he's playing 85% of snaps, it doesn't feel like it. You know, he, he might be gas running routes against and getting no target. Who gives it? I take him out after a go route. I mean, it's not like the passing play afterwards is going to result to much. You know, he's not doing shit. <laughs> I mean, this this offense isn't moving. Like, was he going to catch a, a ball two yards and on a, on a quick out? Like, that's pretty much what the bulk of it. If he does get a target, that's what it is. Or he's just running routes essentially against air um, and not getting a target at all. So he might be playing a lot of snaps, but. I'd say just maximize his snaps rather than just volume. Like, we need a guy out there to be a threat. A threat for what? You aren't setting up anything with this offense. It's not like he's a great blocker on the edge. I mean, maximize the snaps. You know, if he's gassed, let him let him run two go routes and then let him sit for five plays, and you would have more success doing that than him being out there every single play at full stamina and full strength because – Man, this is how bad of a disaster this offense is. Um, You know, I think we're winding down here to a point where we've ranted for a good, strong bulk of time. (laughs) And it's all been about the offense. (laughs) (laughs) And I did look it up. Yeah, I did look it up. He's at like 87% of the snaps. Um, Laporte is at 94% of the snaps. Um, I mean... They are in, in an issue as far as as depth, but 
like you said. So if you have to take him out for three plays, you're going to punt probably anyway if you didn't hit the play. <laughs> I mean, we talked about right. the, the inability to string plays together. Um, it's like they're trying to do the philosophy that their defense always wants you to do. Dink and dunk, be perfect, because eventually you're going to screw up. We're going to take, you know, there's going to be a penalty. We're going to get a sack in completion, and now you're behind the eight ball. And the offense is like, oh, yeah, please put us behind the eight ball. Let's let's see how we can screw this up again. Um, yeah, it's just... It's, we don't. We don't. We don't. And that's the, but, the worst part, is we can talk about this for 17 hours yeah. and go through individual game films with y'all. We use an all-22, and we would still be baffled. I mean, it's just coming. It's a matter of a lot of things going fucking wrong and doing everything wrong all at once. And it's leading to a culmination of just the worst offense in America. Um, (laughs) This is a disgrace to football, this offense. I'm not kidding. This is the, the most disgusting thing I have to watch as sort of like an analyst in my given year, watching this offense perform. It is a disaster schematically it's a a disaster from an execution standpoint outside of you know some plays in the running game where you know it's pretty watching Iowa's offense in the running game when it works that's not even working at this point so like what's it it just it's it's so oh I hate it I this this offense is a disaster and it's a disgrace to America I like (laughs) how do I how do I respond to that Especially when I don't disagree. Like, I really want to be contrarian to that, but there's no way to, like, it's the worst. You know, and that gets thrown around a lot, but, like, it's legitimately the worst. Um, and that's it's not, even, so it's not even ball control. It's no. not even ball control anymore. It's like they go three and out. Turn it over, three and out. With two incompletions in there. What time are they running down? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only good thing I can say is at least we get to watch Tory Taylor a bunch. Like, yeah, truly. I, I, He's going to win the you know, Rosa. That, maybe that's their plan. You know, get the ball to our best player, and that happens to be our punter, so let's get right to it. Uh, yeah, just run three quarterback sneaks then. You know, it's one of those things, too. When was the last time an Iowa punter won the, the – is it the Lou Groza for punters? Uh, Ray Guy? That's kickers. Ray Guy. When's the last time an Iowa punter has won a Ray Guy award? Because he has to be first on the list this year. And Iowa's mantra, punting is winning. I mean, I, I this might be just fan service this year. They realize that they don't have the team to do it much. So it's fan service to the punters, fan service to the defense, and everything else goes out the window. Um we're not even going to give you predict- prediction on the Nevada game because who the fuck cares? They just lost to Incarnate Ward by double digits while giving up 60 points. This is Incarnate Ward. They, I don't think they, I didn't think they had a football team. Um, and they have a bad basketball team because I bet on them quite a bit and they were awful. So it's just, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> And you want to be excited, like it's a it's an evening game inside of Kinnick Stadium, like you want to be excited about that. And I mean, don't get too hammered before the game, like, but maybe or I don't or get very hammered because like, <laughs> you're not gonna re- you don't want to remember what happens next. <laughs> Just so sad, so sad, it's so bad. Oh, well, we're going to end this rambling mess here. This is the most unformulaic episode of all time that's ever been done by a podcast. It's like almost like two dudes in a bar just kind of were like, you know what? We're sick of this shit. <laughs> as, as Thad picks up his whiskey glass. My empty glass. <laughs> empty glass. That's how much this conversation has driven him to the brink. Um, as always, you can follow me, Rob Donaldson, at RobDFB on Twitter. And you can follow... Thad Nelson at T Nels 20 on Twitter. He, we're both still great follows, you know, even if the Iowa football season goes down the, the shitter, um, we will still be here and you can interact with us. So that at least there's something there. Um, that is there any last words while we sign off of this thing? <laughs> I mean, no, it's, it's been painful. I expect it to be more pain. Um, bright news. Enjoy the defense. Like, Enjoy some of those guys on defense that are 
that are showing out and playing amazing. Um, but, you know, if while the offense has the ball, if that's when you decide to go get snacks, I don't blame you. Yeah, and if you're going to start a drinking game, um, take a shot every time there's a completion down the field. Um, that way you forget about the incompletions, um, but it's not enough to really get you to the point of, um, you know, not just, just being completely blackout drunk. Um, that's my best uh, point of advice. I I really have nothing else left. Um, <laughs> we're going to sign off this thing. Thank you guys for listening if you made it this far. And um, as always, uh, take it easy. <laughs>